But a good reminder that God is able, able to take care of every one of our problems, our concerns, our worries, that we just bring them to him in prayer. Well, this morning, uh, <laughs> it was interesting that uh, Pastor Andrew uh, texted me and he said, well, you know, you don't have a sermon. If you want my sermon outline, I could give it to you. And I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, we'll have to save that for a, another time for him. But uh, before we begin the message, could we also join our hearts in prayer? Well, Lord, we thank you that we always have your precious word. We can trust it, believe it, and receive in you the hope of the forgiveness of all of our sin. And we pray your blessing now upon this message, and may you uh, guide us and lead us by your Holy Spirit in all that is said in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to be sharing with you from the book of Isaiah. And you might say, okay, Old Testament time. What, what does something that was written 2,700 and some years ago have to do with us today? Well, this passage from Isaiah, I, I feel, is maybe one most important and uh, words of, of prophecy, really, that we could ever read. It, it is all about the Lord Jesus. And it is important for us today to start spending time thinking about who Jesus is and what he did. You say, but wait, that's Old Testament. That's right. But this is the most important passage of Scripture that deals with the exact identification of the Savior. 700 years before Jesus was born in that little village of Bethlehem. Imagine that. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me, and we're going to start actually at chapter 52 with verse 13, and we'll read from there through that end of that chapter and then into chapter 53. Because it's a long passage, I'm just going to ask you to remain seated. Behold, my servant will prosper, he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom was the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgression. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet it was a, with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. He would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify the many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong. And because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. This coming Wednesday is what we call Ash Wednesday. It's a time of repentance and sorrow over sin. And it's a 40-day time in the church year, beginning that Wednesday and then going up to Holy Week, where we have Monday, Thursday, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Good Friday, the next day, in which he was crucified and died. And then Easter Sunday, when he rose from the dead. These 40 days remind us of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness and the 40 years that the children of Israel were in the wilderness wandering around before they could enter the promised land. 40 seems to come up many times in the scriptures. For us, it gives us an opportunity before Holy Week to reflect upon our sinfulness and our need for a Savior and the fact that this is a time when we can see Jesus so clearly. And I would trust that that would be something for every one of us because we need to know who this Jesus is, to know who he really is, not just what some other people have said about him and paintings that have been trying to describe him in some way, flattering him perhaps in some way or other. Isaiah the prophet had a picture of Jesus in his heart and mind. Now how did he come up with all this? A description of the exact details of the suffering and death and the resurrection actually of, of Jesus. It came about because our holy God in his, in his Holy Spirit 
inspired Isaiah to write these words. Just like all the words of the scriptures, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the end of Revelation, are what we call the inspired, holy, inerrant word of God. We can't understand it. It's something beyond our comprehension, but it's there. And if you were to spend time during the season of Lent thinking about, if no other passage, the, these words from Isaiah 52 and 53, if you would just grasp those words and let God speak to your heart, I believe it would be perhaps the most life-changing experience that you might ever have. So let's take a look at a few of those words. We're not going to be able to go into depth about every one. There's too many verses, and uh, I'm not sure I know you well enough that you might just kind of find your way out the door if I preach too long. So if you'd bear with me, though, in verse 13, Behold, it starts out, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Isaiah uses that term, behold, to introduce Jesus, the servant of the Lord. And keep in mind that, you know, the, the, the chapters and the verses that we have in the Bible are not the inspired and errant part of the Bible. The words are. But whoever came up with the idea to separate into chapters and verses uh, that was the idea of a man many years ago. And sometimes they split verses when it's a sentence and they cut it in two and whatever, and it's, uh, it's for us to find that passage. And that's okay. But I want you to pay attention to this, that behold, it starts out with that strong word, that pay attention there's somebody important that's coming about here in these words. Behold, my servant, God's servant. And you think about Jesus as a servant? He's a servant of God, even though he is himself true God. My servant will prosper. It isn't the most accurate translation of that word. It actually means intelligent and effective action. Jesus will accomplish his mission on earth by effective action and intelligent thought, thoughtfulness. He will be successful in accomplishing God's plan for our salvation. You know, this whole world is really messed up, isn't it? It doesn't take us long to look at the news on any one of the stations at night or any other time during the day. One murder after another, one robbery after another, people getting into fights, the misuse of drugs, and people are dying. Nations are at war. And we wonder, what in the world is going on? Our hearts grieve over a lot of this. And then the Lord comes and says, but I have a better plan. The Lord says that he is high and lifted up. And that speaks about the exaltation of Christ. So more than just being high and lifted up on a cross, that isn't the end of the story. The end of the story comes much later. And we find this in Philippians chapter 
2, verses 9 through 13. For this reason also God highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now sometimes people today will be talking about this would rather spit in the face of Jesus than believe in him. They curse his name, use his name as a swear word. But every one of us, no matter who we are, whether we're the most devout believer in Christ or the most far-off agnostic or atheist that ever could live, someday we will all bow before him and confess that he is Lord. That really should shock us into really thinking about what we're talking about and what we believe. In verse 14 of that Isaiah passage, many were astonished at you, my people, and so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. We like to look at Jesus as just being so kind and loving, and he is that. But the brutal treatment that he received at the hands of the soldiers, the beating, the scourging, and all the rest, it disfigured him. And the blood running down his face, one could not recognize who he really was. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 15, that he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. What, what does a sprinkling many nations mean? Well, it's a technical term to sprinkle. In the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses, in the first five books of the Bible, Moses described that, that they would sprinkle oil or water or blood to obtain ritual purity. The one who sprinkles must be pure and innocent. So the high priest or whoever was sprinkling, you had better be sure that he was right before God. And so many nations would be sprinkled, all nations. And we think about Jesus' own words in Matthew 28, that he would want us to make disciples of who? Of all nations. Every king has to shut his mouth or her mouth when Christ is revealed. This message points out that the servant of the Lord is our only hope. But then in the next chapter, ask that question, who has believed this? Who believes any of this? Whom is, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And that question or statement calls attention to the fact that very few people believe or accept the Savior. The message of salvation and the powerful arm of the Lord, is it believed or is it not believed? The bigger question today isn't about everybody else, but what about you? Do you believe in this one called Jesus? In the second verse, it's, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. 
He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. This whole matter of being a shoot, kind of an odd thing too. It's actually the word suckling or a sucker on the side of a tree. I think you've probably all seen that at times. You have a, a nice tree that you planted outside or it's growing outside. And there is this little shoot that comes off, off the side. What do you do with that? If you let it be, it, it takes away some of the life of the plant, the tree, and it, it can't grow strong and healthy. So you have to take a, a knife or an instrument of some type and cut it off. Dry or parched ground also refers to the lowly conditions in which Jesus lived on this earth. And it goes on to talk about how he is described physically. And what does that do to our view of him? He isn't described as some kind of a great Hollywood character. It's all beautiful and hair is done properly and everything else looks good. He was despised, forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. We did not esteem him. But we say, doesn't everybody love Jesus? I wish that were true. People hide their faces from him. Just like he was a criminal, they don't want to be associated with him. Have you ever had that happen to you when something really bad has gone wrong in your life and all of a sudden the people that you thought were your friends or even family, they turn their faces from you and they walk the other way? That hurts. That hurts right to the very depth of our souls. I can't imagine how that must have felt for Jesus to be with his own disciples that he spent three years with and they all said, we love you, Lord, and, and we're, we'll go right to the end with you, the cross. But all of them pretty much disappeared when he was nailed there. Oh, Peter and John stood at a great distance watching. John closer than Peter. They saw him crucified, but they sure didn't stand up for him. And I can't blame them. How would you like to have somebody else come and say, you're next? <laughs> you see what a crucifixion looks like. What about the griefs and sorrows that Jesus carried? Well, he's carried your griefs and sorrows. Those of you who have lost loved ones, it hurts. It hurts so bad. And yet, Jesus is there with us in those times of grief and sorrow. My sister-in-law passed away shortly after Christmas this year. I shouldn't mention it. It still hurts. But you know, the thing is that the Lord was with her to the very end. And two years of suffering from bone cancer, she still loved Jesus with all of her heart. At her funeral, there, there was a great praise that went up to heaven. She was involved in three different women's prayer groups. Those ladies were all there. 
there, there were others that sang and testified about the, the grace of God that, that she had experienced. Dear friends, that's for you too. She wasn't a great person as far as getting up in front of people and talking or anything like that. She had that quiet faith in her love for a Savior. And this Savior is one that was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we're healed. You know, it's a fantastic verse. Pierced. <laughs> Who pierced him? But the soldier that stood beneath the cross and pushed his spear into the side of Jesus. Why? To fulfill that verse from 700 years before, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening, the chastisement for our well-being fell on him. And he was scourged. All of that terrible suffering of Jesus, the beatings, crucifixion, that was all for you and for me. And I don't like to admit that. I don't know about you. I, I'm not really that bad of a person, am I? We, we kind of defend ourselves and make excuses for things that have gone wrong in our lives. But in reality, what's the truth of the matter is that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the grace of God. All of us have done evil in one way or another. And you say, but yeah, but not as much as that guy. That person over there, look at her. No. The Bible says that if we've committed one sin, we're guilty of it all. It's like a chain, as it were. And one link in that chain is broken. There goes our relationship with God. But the most amazing thing is that chain can be repaired, <laughs> replaced, we're brought back into fellowship with the Savior. The Savior who was oppressed and afflicted and yet did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. I've often wondered about those sacrificial lambs that were brought up to the altar. They didn't protest. They simply were sacrificed. A female sheep, the ewe sheep, sheared the wool taken off of them. They don't really do much, I guess. I've never really been around sheep to, to see them sheared. But I've seen a little bit of it on TV and been around a few farms that had sheep. Important thing is that those sheep are there for a purpose. Jesus was here for a purpose. What would have happened had he spoken up and told Pilate what was really the truth? Pilate, you're going to be condemned at this very moment. You don't stand a chance. Roman soldiers, forget it. You're dying. Members of the Sanhedrin who condemn me? <laughs> oh, it's too late for you guys. He could have done all that. He could have stopped the whole thing. But he chose not to. He was cut off from the land of the living, it says. And then, through it all, 
he offered every one of those individuals who we talked about forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. And his grave was assigned with the rich man. Now, who is that? <laughs> oh, you read in the New Testament, you find out. You know, these individuals that are in the scriptures. There we see Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who had a, a new tomb carved out for himself on the side of the rock, the hill. And that's where they laid Jesus. But he wasn't going to stay there. The Lord was pleased to crush him. And you say, how in the world could God the Father be pleased to do that? Putting him to grief as a guilt offering. It's because through that death and suffering of Jesus on the cross, something so grand would take place. Unbelievable. He would offer himself on that cross so that we could be forgiven of all of our sin. The righteous one, my servant, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, at the conclusion of it all, God says, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured himself out to death. Roman soldiers didn't kill Jesus. And that lie that some have said over the years, well, the Jews killed Jesus, not really. Roman soldiers were the ones that did the crucifixion. So are we to be angry with the Italians? I don't think so. No. He poured himself out to death. He stretched out his hands, not because someone pushed his hands down, but he put his hands down. He put his feet there at the end of that cross. And they nailed him there that we might be forgiven. My oldest brother, who died now quite a few years ago, had been sort of like a Christian for some of the time. And then he was also struggling with other things. But then he received the word from his doctor. Bruce, you're going to not be with us in about eight or nine months. Yeah. I went to see him as soon as I could. And I heard that news. It was like walking into his room. It was like not the same guy, my oldest brother. Like, who are you? <laughs> he had the strangest most wonderful glow on his face. He had become a Christian. He said, but the one thing I don't understand is why would Jesus forgive me? Why? I looked at him and I said, why would he forgive me? Your sin and my sin are the same, dear brother. And I say that to everyone here. God is reaching out to you this morning. And he wants you to know him and to love him and to accept the forgiveness that Jesus went to the cross for, to give you the forgiveness of all of your sin. And now I can look back at that terrible time in my brother's life and the pain and the suffering that he had and say, but I'm going to see you in heaven. 
We're going to be there together for all eternity. And I don't know all of your names, obviously, but I hope that that's going to be true for you and me as well, that we will be together in that glorious heaven, being there with the, the Savior Jesus. We'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have promised us the hope of eternal life. And I ask that you would be with these dear friends. Whatever grief and sorrow they have today, whatever suffering they're going through with their bodies, their minds, their family relationships, or whatever else, that they would learn during these days now and even today, bring them all to your cross. And there beneath the cross of Jesus, they would find forgiveness and hope and healing, cleansing from all sin and all doubt, and just walk with you in a, in a firm foundation that they've never had before. Bless us, Lord Jesus. Keep us in your grace. For we pray this all in your name and for your glory. Amen.